Welcome to the DTF Podcast. We're going to dissect the frog again today. Thank you for joining me and wanting to talk all things comedy. Today, as you can see, we're going to keep it clean. We're talking about comics who keep it clean on stage. No potty mouths, no, no taboo subjects here today. What we're going to be talking about are the comics who choose to keep it G to PG rated. All right? This is a movie. You could watch it with uh, you know young adults and kids. And a lot of people, right, I I very much respect comics that keep it clean, all right? I love the, the people in the industry, in any art form, that give themselves boundaries to work in. And a lot of people don't, but I view boundaries as a way to be more creative, all right? And clean comics usually get a rat, bad rap being perceived as, like, playing it safe to the, you know, and... and but, but I surmise that when done artistically and with integrity, it is actually the hardest form of stand-up to not only develop, but then to stick to your guns about it and then make interesting for a whole entire hour, okay? It's like juggling to me. I know I make a lot of circus references and metaphors, but stick with me, all right? I believe that stand-up comedy uh in general is like an act right like a circus act so you know the really good ones will be jugglers and, and then they'll go on a trapeze act and then do all this stuff but clean comics are like ju- they're just jugglers right and if you watch someone juggle balls and bowling pins for you know an hour straight you get bored but it's almost with with the clean knife edge it's almost like they keep upping the ante of like, oh, they're going to go the whole way. We're going to go into topics that you think are going to go one way, and then they get away with not getting burned or cut, right? It's almost like you're watching them juggle bowling pins, and then someone throws like a couple of knives in there, and then a couple of torches, and you're like, holy crap, they're doing this without burning anything or cutting themselves. I think it is an amazing, amazing, amazing ability to do because I have so much problem doing it. I like to curse. I like to vent my emotions, but these people keep it contained. They use weapons of sarcasm, innuendo, and subterfuge that are are just ripe in this episode. And you got to prepare yourself because these comedians are like sirens. They appear innocent, but then deep down, they got a. I think they got a more sinister kind of body and girth to them, which I like, and I, that, I think that, that's the artistic side, is you can see kind of the devil within, and yet they come to you with the most angelic of faces. Now, who are the three that I'm talking about today? Who are the three that I'm blowing smoke all the way up their ass? I will tell you. It is Jim Gaffigan. Yes, that amazing Jim Gaffigan. You may know him as the Hot Pocket guy, but he's way much more than that, and we will get into that. Then we also have Brian Regan. Yes, the touring, long-standing, been around since the early 80s, Brian Regan. If you don't know him, you're about to know him because he's one of the best, not only clean comics, but comics 
performing today, just comics in general. And then we will end with the one and the only Ellen DeGeneres. Yes, that Ellen from The Ellen Show, who's always dancing, making a fool of herself, hosting the Emmys, right? Everybody thinks that she's a goofball, and she is, but there's so much more depth to her, and it shows up in her stand-up beyond... Uh, I think beyond what most people recognize. And I'm going to get into it. We're going to get into it. We're going to dive into it. And I think we should, right? The first person. Let's talk about him. Jim Gaffigan, right? Jim Gaffigan. He was actually born in Illinois, but he grew up as an Indiana boy, right? And here's the crazy thing about Jim Gaffigan. All right, so I have a little bit of uh, similarities with Jim, and I'm. uh, it's an an odd thing that he turned out the way he did, and I— turned out or am turning into the person I uh, have turned into, which is Jim is the youngest of six in his family, right? He's got five older brothers and sisters, and he's the youngest of six. And he has a family of five. So himself, he has five kids. And yet in his act, he doesn't curse at all. I think the most I've ever heard him say is, damn, that's an amazing, like, he either has to be a saint or a lunatic, all right? Because I grew up in a big Irish family. I am also the youngest of five. And there wasn't an- enough calm times to where you didn't just have bubbling, churning, gurgling anger always at the at the bottom of your throat, right? And anytime one of those bubbles bursts or it kind of pelted out, there was a cursing match. And then if it went more and we threw fists, you know, we were a big family, but... Jim has this, like, calm demeanor that almost, to me, should be in, like, a middle child or, like, a, like a only child. But he's the youngest of five, I, and he has five kids, in, or he's the youngest of six, and he has five kids himself. That's crazy to me, that this man has able to build this this wonderful, beautiful persona. But the great thing about him is you can still see the anger. I know it's there, right? I can relate with Jim on this. I know that the anger is there, and we'll get into it a little bit after this clip. But I wanted you guys to try to recognize uh, his, his disdain, right? He's, he's pointing out stuff, but he has a little bit of disdain. We'll get into it. Uh, and then there's, there's a little bit more I want to get into, too, but I, I want to wait until you guys listen to this clip. So please enjoy Jim Gaffigan. We'll be back uh, right after this. Go. I can't believe we're still giving clothing as a gift. Because wherever you get clothing as a present, you always open it up and you think, not even close. <laughs> and the person that gives it's always like, you can take it back if you don't like it. That's all right. I'll just throw it out. <laughs> don't give me an errand. <laughs> Happy birthday. Why don't you head to the mall for me? If you get my dry cleaning, that'd be awesome. I got a robe for Christmas. I remember looking at the robe thinking, wow, I hope I get the flu so I can wear it. I mean, who has the time to enjoy a robe? What are we, about to shoot a porno? It's a weird piece of clothing. How'd we even come up with the robe with some guy, hey, I got an idea. How about we make a coat out of a towel? There could be a belt that goes around, and you could dung the belt in the toilet. Be a toilet belt. The indoor jacket, the robe. You ever see someone outside in a robe? They look like they escaped from the loony bin. 
Ah, uh, just get in the paper before the monsters do, right? The only time I ever wear a robe is when I'm staying in a fancy hotel. You have that robe in the closet. I always feel uncomfortable when room service comes and I'm in a robe. Like I'm trying to seduce the room service guy. <laughs> Hello, welcome to my room. I'm in my robe and here's the bed I rented. Is there anything I could do to be more creepy? Oh, he was believable as the creepy guy. It reminded me of his Catwoman. Scary. All right, that was uh, Jim Gaffigan talking about robes. Uh, that was from Beyond the Pale. That was the album that we were uh, going off of. And I love that clip. I love it. It's very funny. Uh, it is not his most well-known joke. Everybody knows the Hot Pockets joke. And his uh, he's very known for that voice that you heard where he <coughs> does like the voice of the audience. And he does it to either diffuse a bad joke or to tag a good one. So he does he does that voice as like a off off play or offshoot of how the joke goes over with the crowd of oh oh I can't believe he's talking like that. Now it's written, but it it is played off of how he wants the audience to perceive themselves, right? It's a very very nice little touch, but the main thing I want to talk about is his ability in this joke, which I think is indicative of how great of a writer he is, right? How outside the box he actually thinks. Jim has this amazing ability to make something inherent that's inherently dirty and turn it into an innocent experience. And that's why I picked out the robe joke, okay? That joke... In the, the hands of a lesser comedian, such as myself, would immediately, immediately had a dick observation in it, right? Oh, my robe's out. Here's my dick flapping around, right? But Jim Gaffigan dodges dicks like a lesbian at a fraternity party. Like, he doesn't talk about his dick at all. Do, he, he kind of alludes to it in one, not even one line. It was like five words. He said, give me a bathrobe. What is this? Are we going to shoot a porn video? Like, that's it. That is the closest that you get to a dick joke about robes. And that's the, the quickest observation to make. But yet, because, and, and this is the beauty, I think, of keeping it clean in general, but the beauty of what Jim does best is he'll take something, that, again, that's inherently dirty and make it innocent and, mon and, and, and not mundane, but innocent and intriguing, right? And he kind of does the opposite with innocent and mundane. He he makes a little naughty, makes a little sinful, uh, and it's pretty amazing. Like he has, I'm not going to go into it too much, but just to kind of give you reference of what he does on the other side, he has a lot of jokes about food. And a lot of the punchlines are almost sensual in nature when he talks about food. Like he's getting away with something that's taboo and it's it's... Not sexualized, but very sensual, right? You you almost feel like we're we're adults whispering in the corner about an innuendo, but when really he's just talking about cake and donuts and stuff like that. But on the opposite end, right, when he's talking about bathrobes, he could go for the dick joke. Everybody could, 
right? Everybody would, uh, most, most people would go for the dick joke. But he start like the first thing he starts off about is how does it get invented, right? Tal put a belt around it, and then the the first like I think really good punchline, which is just an observation that I think everybody has had but nobody said, which is where your brain starts going. You get creative once you get out of the obvious. It's like oh you could you could dunk it in the toilet. That is such a until until I heard him say it, that is such a, I feel like I'm the only one that did that moment. But then when he says it, and it, you hear it coming out of somebody else's mouth, you're like, oh, why did I ever think I was the only one that ever did that? Clearly, everyone's done that. And that's where that release is. That's where that pop is of, oh, he called out what I was saying. And not only that, I realize we've all done that. Even if you haven't done that, you've been afraid that you might do that, which is probably why you've never worn a bathrobe. Like, it is... I, I love that initial little punchline, and that is so out of left field that something that you would have never really thought about, at least I never would... I, I never did, and I don't think I ever would have. I've put on many robes. I have one. It's a Joker robe. It's awesome, right? But I never wear it, and when I do, the last thing I'm thinking about is... How can I make a robe funny? You know what I mean? And I think that's quite genius. But then he moves on, right? Then he makes a a really good observation. I, I think it's maybe a little bit more uh, easy to strife into, uh, but no less more impressive when he talks about looking crazy. You know, oh, I'm just coming out to get the paper. Oh, before the monsters do? Like, that's a great observation that... Again, has nothing to do with sexuality or, you know, being the... Because I've heard a lot of jokes, not necessarily about robes, but I've heard a lot of jokes around, like, old people wearing robes. Grandpa, I can see your balls. Wait, are they tucked into your socks? Like, I've heard that. I've heard many kind of dirty or blue jokes where the robe is either an accent, a prop... Or even the, the topic of conversation. But I've never heard someone dive into something as, I mean, useless as a robe, mundane as a robe, and make it, make me feel like it's important to talk about. Not important like, oh, we need to raise awareness about robes, but important like, yeah, please keep making observations. He got me interested in talking about robes. And he only did that because he's making these left-hand turns where I don't... It, it's like a ride. Like, I don't know where we're going. Please, keep driving. Like, as, as long as this is fun, I'll keep going with you. And he does. Then he goes into the hotel room part, right? Where he's talking about, yeah, hey, like, I like wearing a robe, but, you know, if someone comes to my room, I feel like I'm seducing him, right? Again, you could... Then you could... From there, you could go, like, super sexual, but he does it. He plays it real cool, real smooth, like, oh, this is my bed. I feel like a creep. Nothing about sexuality. There's illusion, there's innuendo, but there, it's it's nothing, right? And, the, and remember, right, so I started this whole thing by saying <laughs> I couldn't, like, how does he not curse? I know he's got the anger in him. And you're like, well, you haven't talked about the anger, Sam. You're just talking about how he can <laughs> step around hot stones. 
True. But here's where the anger is. If you remember where he started from this joke is, oh, I hate crappy gifts, right? Don't give me clothes for a present. So he's, he's raging against crappy gifts he's gotten. And he starts off by going, ah, shirts are crappy. And you know what else? Bathrobes. Who wants a bathrobe? So you got to remember the context of the emotion behind this whole thing is he's not making pure observations about a robe. He's railing against it. Every one of these punchlines, when put in context, he's just going, this is the dumbest gift to get somebody. Because not only am I going to dunk it in the toilet, well... If I wear outside, I'm going to look like I'm insane. I'm going to creep out the neighbors. And then if anybody comes to my door, it's going to be like I'm trying to sleep with them or I just got done shooting a porno. Like he's just – you can imagine when you pull back, you can imagine he got this as a gift for like Christmas or something and then had to do the like, yeah, thanks. Oh, it's got my name on it too. Oh, thanks, Doug. This is a great bathrobe. And you get you get the anger. And here's the thing. After I heard this joke, I gave my father, like the first Christmas I ever met my father-in-law, I gave him a robe. It was a really cool robe. It was like a satin red one with like cool dad on it, right? I thought it was cool until I saw this joke again. And then I'm like, oh, that was creepy. Why did I give another man a robe? <laughs> right? <laughs> I gave my father-in-law a robe. I met him like two times. That's a creepy sensual gift. And he points it out without ever being sexualized or taboo or anything, and not even cursing. He's he's conveying he's conveying some sexuality and some anger without ever ever getting close to it. It's across the street. Fuck, it's down the block. You know what I mean? He's 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 pointing to it, but you have to look over a fence just to see it. That's how great this kind of bit in writing. An ability to strafe around the subject is. I, I absolutely adore it, and uh, I adore Jim Gaffigan. I I implore you to look up more of his more of his material and study him because there's much more. I'm sure you will hear him on a future episode. But keeping it clean, Jim Gaffigan, one of the best in my book. So let's move on. We'll go to my main man, Brian Regan. Yes, Brian. Regan, all the way from Florida, actually. He's a Florida boy. And here's another crazy thing, right? Jim Gaffigan, youngest of six. Well, Brian Regan is another kid cursed with a big family. He's an Irish kid. He's one of eight, eight kids in his family. That's crazy, right? Now, where you have to look into Jim's soul to see his anger, I uh, do not ever, ever... Uh, wonder where Brian Regan's anger is because it is there, and I it, to sum up Brian Regan, uh, it would be best done by the wonderful comedian Bill Burr, who said it best on comedians and cars getting coffee when he said, "Brian Regan, you watch Brian Regan. People think it's goofy. It's like no, this is an angry dude. The way he's telling this story is not the way he reacted when this." happened to him i'm telling you right now and i so i 100 percent agree with that right he said brian regan has so much anger and it just comes off as being like this goofball but no he is the most sarcastic smart ass in the business everything is just soaked soaked in sarcasm it is it is amazing amazing 
<laughs> trait that he has where he has this like mocking joke that he's known for. So Jim Gaffigan, like I said, has the voice of the audience. Like, hey, fellow, why are you doing that, right? But Brian, he does this amazing voice where he mocks the idiot in the joke. Now, a lot of times it is the person who is taking his cannon fodder, right? Where he's mocking that person. But sometimes he makes fun of himself, which I love. Uh, if you guys remember episode one, you got to make yourself the goose. But Brian usually is mocking, you know, the, the person of Target. And this joke that we're about to hear perfectly, perfectly sums up what I love most about him. All right. So I want you guys to pay attention about how much sarcasm and disdain he has for whoever he met in this joke. And how much he's mocking him so hard, right? And recognize the anger. Recognize how he gets away with it. Because that's what we're coming back to talk about, okay? That's that's our main point with Brian. So listen to this. We'll come back and uh, talk about it and dissect the shit out of him. All right. Maybe it wasn't. Because I made the mistake of trying to tell a story about having only two wisdom teeth pulled. And I learned a lesson. Don't ever try to tell a two wisdom two story because you ain't going nowhere. The four wisdom teeth people are going to parachute in and cut you off at the pass. Halt! Halt with your two wisdom tooth tail. You will never complete one. Trust me. I'm trying to tell my story. You know, I had some wisdom teeth pulled. I had, um, I had two, but I had four pulled. Oh, No, five. No, nine. I had nine wisdom teeth pulled. All of mine were impacted. They were all coming upside down. The roots were up around my tongue, coming out my nose. They were tusks. I was a warthog. No anesthesia. They pulled them out with pliers. I was eating corn in the cob that afternoon. Pin the blue ribbon upon his chest. That knocks the socks off of my wisdom tooth tail. Why do people need to top other people? I've never understood it, and I see it all the time. Obviously, people get something out of it. At best, people wait for your lips to stop. Yeah, as soon as... Okay, yeah, you, me! You, me! You see the difference? You see, you see that? Now I do. What is it about the human condition people get something out of that? That's why I have a social fantasy. I wish I was one of the 12 astronauts who have been on our moon. They must love knowing they can beat anybody's story whenever they want. They can sit back quietly at a dinner party while some other person, some me monster, is doing his thing and let him go. Let him run with the line while you be quiet. Oh, really? <laughs> Let him have his moment. Yeah, I'm a big traveler. I have my business all. I got my own global enterprise. I got to check on. You know, driving in the Autobahn because I keep a fleet of sports cars over in Zurich. You know, I got a Swiss account that I don't want to check on. Mount Kilimanjaro expedition. Might have to cancel that. You know, runways in Aspen are a lot shorter the first time you go in there. You know, you know, you know, you know the Pacific Rim Company is going to try to take that over. And it's global enterprise. I walked on the moon. 
That was Brian Regan from his special, I Walked on the Moon, and we ended with, I Walked on the Moon. I love that bit. That is, if I could distill him down into a nice, tasty whiskey, a Brian Regan whiskey, that would be my joke to go to. I And I there, there are bigger, better bits. There are ones that are more intricate, but that one details my favorite thing about Brian Regan, which is... Which is definitely this, right? We'll get back into the mocking thing that I was saying before, because that is a huge part of his jokes. But the underlying thing, the one that I really connect with him on, and I think is kind of the 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 bedrock of his of his act, is having so much anger and disdain for people, events stupidity is a big one that he goes after a lot of times. He just has a huge disdain for stupidity and our acceptance of it. And he mocks the shit out of it. But then he expresses it in a very clean way. And I love the fact that he rants and rages without cursing and makes the listener, the audience, fill in the fuck blanks. You go back and listen to that. If you rewind, go back and listen to it. I guarantee you're throwing, like, fuck bombs and fuck this guy, right? The me monster, whoever that guy was, that he actually... Because you know he met that guy, right? You know he met him at a party and was like, fuck this guy. Wrote this huge rant and makes fun of him. And the whole time, he's just mocking and digging into him. But he's doing it with so much sarcastic wit that it seems playful and goofy which god that's like uh it's like comedy judo right he's he's right he's right on the knife's edge of being a bully but because he's goofy about it he's he's just playfully you know mocking this this idiot right and the idiot's the bad guy you never meet you never get that guy's side you never want that guy's side you immediately like yeah i hate that guy because i've met people like that and then you get to live vicariously through brian regan with brian regan right he goes into this oh i wish i was one of the guys on the moon and then you get to have this like vindictive you know triumphant moment of me me monster oh i i'm all oh, in stocks and autobot and blah, blah, blah. i walked on the moon i love i love that whole and he just tears the guy down to pieces right that's a three minute joke three minutes uh if if you don't do comedy or written comedy before it three minutes of actual jokes and setup and keeping the audience in it, three minutes is quite a bit of time on one topic. I think this is extra special because not only is it one topic, it's one kind of continuous story and not even like a traditional story. It's like a continuous burn, basically. He's just sitting there in the pocket just shitting on this guy over and over and over again, and you're definitely with him. You're like, yeah, I don't like this. And the more layers he peels back on his onion, the more the more you're just crying with laughter of, you know, I, I don't like this guy. Why do we feel like we have to... I mean, within one topic, he has make fun of the guy, right? Then he has uh, why do people feel the need to do that? Uh, then he has the actual story. Then he has a fantasy. Like, th there's at least four different topics in one joke, right? At least. 
Now, there could be five or six, but the ones I see, there's four bullet points within three minutes. You know, that's, what, 45 seconds each, something like that? I, I absolutely adore his ability to do that and to come across as the protagonist in his own joke when he's really being a dickhead. You know what I mean? You would never say this to somebody or around somebody, but you may, it, it feels he gets you on his side so quickly that you feel like you're sitting around after a party and he goes, oh, did you did you see Gary? Man, that guy's a dick, right? And then now you're all talking about Gary the dick. And he does that in every one of his jokes. It doesn't matter. Go back and watch uh, this one. Uh, I Walked on the Moon. You could also watch uh, the epitome of hyperbole or the epitome of hy- <laughs> hyperbole or the epitome of hyperbole. Sorry, it's one of his... Uh, more famous bits, but the, those those two have the, the the distilled Brian Regan whiskey that I was talking about. It is just shot after shot after shot of him coming across as like a fun goofball, but just being the, you know the meanest, angriest guy ever. Right? People people look at like Sam Kennison and Lewis Black, and just oh, they are. They're yelling all the time. Those guys are angry guys. But Brian Regan has has some the, the psychology of taking that bottled up anger, that grenade, and almost <laughs> somehow putting a grenade through a silencer is is quite amazing to me. Now he's he's loud and but it, that the silencer I'm talking about is just taking away the impact. The holy shit, this guy's scaring me with his anger. Instead of doing that, he's really pulling it back. And and giving you this kind of nice, clean sherbet type thing. He's like a dynamite surrounded by sherbet. You get to lick at it, and it blows up in your face, and you love every minute of it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I love Brian Regan. Please check him out. But let's move on, right? Move on to our last and final illustrious comedian on this list, and that is Ellen DeGeneres. Everybody knows and loves Ellen, right? Ellen DeGeneres from... The movie Dory, she voiced uh, Dory is coming out. She voiced that. That's from Finding Nemo. Uh, She also has her own uh, afternoon talk show. Ellen, uh, everybody should know her. She's very, very famous. Uh, Came out in the uh, early 2000s as a lesbian, made a big to-do. And you know what is great about her, in my mind, is that she defines her comedy and doesn't let her comedy be defined by her and what i mean by that is there are some comics and i I don't want to trash anybody so i'm going to leave this to your imagination to figure out who i'm talking about but there are some comics out there who because they want to take up the mantle of somebody or some group their comedy becomes nothing but that where as someone like Ellen, she is a lesbian, was a lesbian as well, and you would never never think that she uh is like betraying that, right? On stage I've heard her talk about it, but she's she's never betraying that, but it is not who she is. It is a part of what she is. And I think a lot of comics, you know, whenever they have a niche of themselves 
uh, it it kind of defines who they are, which I think artistic. I mean, they can do whatever they want. It's not my career, right? But I think artistically, you kind of pigeonhole yourself whenever you put yourself in that position to be defined by who you are instead of or letting your comedy be defined by who you are instead of letting your comedy define itself as a you know as bits and pieces of you, right? And Ellen is, I think, a great example of that. She's uh, not only a clean comic, but she talks about a broad number of things and only grows as she uh, goes on in her career. Uh, we're going to listen to Ellen DeGeneres here real quickly, but just so you guys know, because I told you all the rest of everybody else, uh, she was also born in uh, Louisiana, right outside New Orleans, grew up in New Orleans, and then uh, later on, you know, in the 80s and 90s, she moved out to L.A., had a career, and it's just kind of you know, flowering as she gets older. And we're going to listen to a clip of Ellen and we will be right back. So uh, listen to this clip and then we'll talk about Ellen and dive into what exactly I love most about her. All right, enjoy. to the toilet paper, by the way, in public bathrooms. It's not even one ply anymore, is it? It's a sheer suggestion of what toilet paper used to be. It's an innuendo, a ghost. A, it's like prosciutto. It's so thin. And then because it's so thin and it's on that huge cheese wheel size roll, it's like a spare tire roll of toilet paper. So the heaviness of the roll with the thinness of the paper, trying to move it alone is just a, just please, if I could just have more than one, uh, one. I just want, please just give me two, no, one. I just, uh, one. 15 minutes later, you got 15 squares in your hand which equal one ply. And then they're making things easier that don't need to be made easier. You know, these, these toilets that are flushing automatically now, which I'll decide when I'm done. Because sometimes they just go off randomly. You're still sitting there. How dare you? Because then they don't go off when you want them to. You're standing up, you're just staring at the toilet. You have to sit down and fake it out again. your hands you have no control over that either you go to the sink it has to see your hands first underneath and then you it decides how much water you need also it gives you a certain portion you don't know how much you're gonna get so you're like a little raccoon under there just
and then it decides that's enough water, and it's not, so you have to pull out and go pretend like your new hand's going back in again. And the dryer, you put your hands under there quickly like that. And all this is to avoid germs. Then you walk over to that disease-ridden door handle and open it up. That was Ellen DeGeneres on her comedy special Here and Now. Check it out. Uh, talking uh, about the bathroom. And All right, this is what I love about... The, we're going to dive right into it. That's this is the... Best thing I love about Ellen and all of her material, right? Super clean comic, doesn't curse, doesn't really make waves, right? And a lot of people think that being clean is like a is like a crutch, right? I said that earlier. People think it's like a crutch, and I think it's a way to a better punchline. And this, uh, above everything else, more than Brian Regan set and uh, Jim Gaffigan. This joke right here, I think, proves that uh, being clean sends you to a better punchline. She made observations that normally you wouldn't really talk about when the, or the first things that go to your head when you think about a bathroom, right? So Jim Gaffigan took bathrobes right and instead of talking about his dick coming out going to the easy punchline he talked about being crazy and everything brian regan when talking about not liking a guy instead of cursing at him and calling him a dipshit he mockingly and sarcastically made him look like the fool right ellen above anything else she just had a in this from beginning to end is three minutes right a three minute joke which completely, the whole environment, the whole atmosphere, the whole scenario is inside the bathroom. Within those three minutes, right? That three-minute block, she does not mention poop or pee once. Not even alludes, doesn't even, there's no even phantom fog. There's, there's no poop or pee in this whole entire joke, right? It's a poop joke without poop. That is an amazing accomplishment, and it takes, personally, that would take so much effort to not put in some poop or pee joke. Like, she's she's got willpower beyond any imagination that I think I'll ever have. If I'm ever, if I'm ever in the bathroom for, for a joke, you better goddamn believe my willpower is not strong enough. And I'm going to describe at least the smell of poop or how slick the floors were, a pee. But no, she just talked about her routine. And that's the great thing. It's not like she was vague about stuff. She she very much went... We were in the bathroom and she described everything about it. She did three minutes of a poop joke, very intricately told us details in her bathroom ritual. I know everything Ellen DeGeneres does in the bathroom. I know her bathroom ritual, what things she gets frustrated with, and how her brain reacts while she's on the pot, done with the pot, cleans herself up, then washes her hands. I know from beginning to end what she does as her bathroom ritual, and yet, I'm not entirely sure Ellen has a butthole. You know what I mean? Like, she was so intricate and detailed with every other aspect of the bathroom, which is her genius, right? She tells you everything else, except, uh, you know, it's still questionable. I know that I know that in her personal life, 
she's outed herself as being a lesbian. I know in her comedy act right now, she outed herself as a person who goes to the bathroom. But I'm going to question on both sides, right? I don't think that she has any other hole other than ears, nose, and mouth. I really... Because she never talks about him. And I think that is a genius, genius thing. And an ability of willpower that uh, that eludes me. and I, Which is why I think she's one of the better comics ever. I, I think she's completely wonderful. And she's she's got this... Like, when she tells jokes, right? So Gaffigan kind of has this, like, snarky schmarminess about him. Uh, so, so based in anger. Brian Regan has this bottled up rage that manifests uh, out of uh, the sherbet, like I said. Gives you something sweet to take it down. Ellen, I don't think, has a mean bone in her body. I, I, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know how someone lives like that. I cannot relate. But all of her observations are taking... She almost polishes everything, and that's why I chose this one, right? Because it, it really shows the other two people are very angry, right? And I, I wanted to show that uh, clean comedy can still have an edge to it. That's why I had Regan and Gaffigan, right? Because the, the the cliche or the stereotype of clean comics is that they're you know they they're pretty milk toast, that nobody, that pretty vanilla. There's not a lot of substance there and not a lot of feeling or passion. And and that's what Brian Regan and Jim Gaffigan uh, give us, right? But I think even if you're in the vein of the stereotype that milk toast, right? People could say, could, all right? And I'm going to defend. People could say Ellen DeGeneres is very milk toast, very uh, vanilla, just plain Jane, right? But here's why I think she transcends that. She... She takes her her clean her clean comedy, right? So imagine imagine clean comedy as like a metal metal orb, right? Now most clean comics will you know make sure to rub it down so there's no mud on it, right? And the mud is cursing and poop jokes, but there's really nothing there. It's just a metal orb that they hold up and be like, hey, look this this thing's clean. Look at that, right? What Ellen does. And a few other comics do, but I think I, I personally like Ellen more than most other co clean comics because I think she does this best. Ellen, over the years that she's done it, she takes that metal orb of clean comedy, right? And she polishes and buffs the shit out of it, right? She makes that motherfucker shine, glimmer, and most importantly, reflect. And that is what... Ellen does better than most cliched clean com or comedians, right? Where, yes, a lot of clean comics are boring milk toast, and you're like, why the fuck are you showing me a metal orb? Ellen holds that motherfucker up, and it is chromed out to the max, polished up, not even a fingerprint on it. She holds it up to you, and you go, why are you showing me a Oh, and you look, and you see a reflection of yourself in it. That is where the artistry of what she does hands down is better than 99% of other clean comics out there because I, I, I don't care who you are. The joke, male or female, the joke that she did about being in the bathroom, right? 
is one, it's clean. It's a fucking three minute poop joke without mentioning poop or pee. But then more importantly, she gets into the weird intricacies of a bathroom ritual, which nobody talks about. You don't come out of the bathroom most often, unless it's like with your spouse or your best friends and go like, don't you hate it when the toilet paper is so thin, but they got a cheese wheel size of it. So you got to just like pull it out. Like she, she gave us, she reflected back an experience that we all have experienced before and makes it hilarious. And then it puts kind of a, not a huge point on it, but like a, a nice little period at the end of it where she says, yeah, you go through all this, you wash your hands off, you're like a little raccoon, and then you go to the door, and it's filthy and disgusting, you open it up. And then she's like, so she points out the annoyingness, the ridiculousness of kind of new bathrooms and stuff, and what you go through to kind of stay clean, and, you know, it takes all this, in order to wipe yourself, right? It takes all this effort to get the toilet paper, then in, in order to, to flush, right? Instead of putting your hand on a disease handle, you got to have this mechanized thing that never works and it's just a fucking hassle and then when you go to wash your hands it takes 20 minutes for you to get enough water in order to lather up and then wash off so you go through this whole intricate routine right just to stay clean and at the very end you put your hand on that shitty handle and then you completely negate everything that came before that is a beat by beat wonderful wonderful joke and the a wonderful way of tapping into people's psychology of how can I talk about this one as it's like, it's both universal, right? Cause everybody's experienced it, whether you're no matter your race, sex, gender identity, you know, everybody's experienced that, but it's also, it's also so microscopically defined with its details that if I can push it to the most hyperbolic uh, example possible, it's almost like she found the equation to bring the very, very big, like in uh, astrophysics, take the E equals MC square. And she found a way to combine that with quantum mechanics, which scientists are, that's the theory of everything. It's almost like this joke has really kind of quantified that in comedy with me. She took she took takes something so universal and so universally funny, poop and pee, right? I you'd be hard pressed to find a comic who doesn't have a joke about it or did it at some point. One of the most famous quotes I've ever heard uh, told when I was writing, and I'm like, ah, I want to try to write something more. Uh, I heard someone say. That hey, even George Carlin did a did poop jokes, right? So even the smartest person, people in comedy, eventually have poop jokes or you know little dumb things, right? So Ellen DeGeneres takes a poop joke and she elevates, you know, the most universal thing, or not elevates. She takes the most universal thing and she brings it down to the microscopic level to where almost you're almost forgetting that you're in the bathroom while she's talking about it like you're there but you're forgetting like what you do in the bathroom that i i've watched this a couple of times uh in research of this uh show and there was a couple of times while i was listening that i <laughs> i almost especially the cheese wheel thing i in my mind whenever she was talking 
I was actually picturing her with clothes on. Like, I didn't picture her pants down at all. I just pictured, which is a weird thing, but I just pictured her just going into the bathroom, sitting there, and then going like, all right, time to get toilet paper. Let's check this thing out. And she's almost like experimenting, which is also why I don't think Ellen DeGeneres has a butthole at all. She just goes in and like looks around like a with childhood whimsy. But her... Her ability, like, Ellen, if if I ever hear a comedian or a fan of comedy ever talk about how, you know, clean comedy is is boring or, you know, without substance, uh, I I will always bring up Ellen and give him that analogy of a metal sphere. It, it really, she is a reflective surface, uh, a clean reflective surface to show us, uh, you know who who we are in certain situations and she's got tons more material i mean she's been around for for a very long time since or at least for 20 years so please uh please check her out but that that was here and now i i absolutely adore all three of these comedians cuz they 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 truly do they truly do showcase that comedy one isn't just one thing and two even even in one aspect of comedy right clean comics kind of get put into one big uh one big group right there's multiple different types and not only that uh even though it's harder to be more artistic when you when you set goals to keep a a, a real standard of comedy it can be at it can make comedy uh, at its absolute best and you can really, really dig into the minutia of everyday living. And I, I absolutely adore all three of these comedians, and I thank them for doing it. And I hope that one day I'll be able to tap into something <laughs> halfway close to what these motherfuckers are doing. I should have probably not said motherfuckers when talking about clean comics, but I you know, can't help it. But that I, I applaud all three of these people. Please check out Jim Gaffigan, Brian Regan, and Ellen DeGeneres. And please check out our next episode of DTF next time we come through. Uh, this has been Dissecting the Frog with Sam Norton. I want to thank you guys for listening. We will be back next time. Enjoy your life. I love you all very much. Goodbye. Oh.